Hi everybody, welcome to Under the Table. This week I've decided to follow up on Fees Must Fall, movement of students across the country who went up against incredible odds to have their fees uh, reduced for next year so that the increment didn't um, happen. And that movement still continues, of course. So I decided to have a chat with somebody who has been at the center of some of the Fees Must Fall um, discussion because he is a news editor and also because he has opened the pages of his newspaper up to students under a campaign called In Our Own Voices. Hassan Abida is the editor of the Cape Argus and I popped down to his office to have a chat, a very candid chat about what it was like and what has happened since in the um, progress that Fees Must Fall has made and where we stand at the moment and he's got some advice from a news editor to some young journalists as well who may join the industry. Here you go. Let's talk about In Our Own Voices. What made you do it? It wasn't something I thought about for a long time but I had noted the criticism from students about the media and the narrative in the, in the media that it was we were speaking to officialdom and we weren't capturing their voices and it was a very one-sided take of the fees must fall protests. So when Gus Silber that morning, it was a Thursday, tweeted and said, um, here's a challenge, I challenge the Argus, the Star, whoever, give your paper to newspapers. It took me three seconds to decide that this was a great idea. And what did we have to lose? Maybe my job the <laughs> next day, if it didn't work out? But I think there was... We stood to gain a lot more um, as a as a newspaper that was that would have been bra- uh, t- uh, t- like blazing a trail, and I, and I think I hadn't thought about those kind of things when I, I accepted. So that's what made me do it. I wanted to really genuinely give the students their own say, and I knew that there was going to be a captive market because they would want to read it the public would want to read it, and there was the small risk of alienating our traditional readers. Uh, you, did, you did get a bit of flack. Actually, to be quite honest with you, we didn't get a lot of flack. Um, I was surprised by the lack of flack <laughs> at <laughs> times. Um, there were one or two people who said, yeah, but, you know, you're creating a precedent here, and... You know, is this the future of journalism? But overwhelmingly, the response we got was incredible. At, People, which, at which point, though, um, obviously the students wrote for you. Yeah. In the newspaper process, we know it goes journalism, uh, journalists and then subs, and it goes back and it goes forth. At which mm. point did you step in and did you step in at all? That's the thing. The, um, Lance Witten and I um, hopped into a car after a very good friend of mine gave me advice, unsolicited advice, to say, don't wait for these students to come to you. You've made the offer now. Go and find them. We don't need... I mean, sorry, they don't need you, but you need them. So humble yourself and go down there. So we hopped into a car. We went down to Lower Campus because that was the closest and probably the epicenter of the Cape Town Fees Must Fall protests. So there we met some very interesting students. Lance, in fact, 
um, identified a young lady by the name of Amira Conrad. Um, and she was delivering a poem at this rally that was very powerful. And then she came to chat to us. And um, she then put us in touch with who we recognized as an organizer of this rally because they don't have leaders. It's a very egalitarian kind of thing, you know, that's difficult for us to understand in this organized world of managers and CEOs. So there you have it. So this guy, I forget his name, but he, he then approached the caucus for a few minutes and then six of them put their hands up after quite a lot of reservations about us, about me and Lance, to the extent that one of them accused me of being an intelligence officer. Oh. And this guy would eventually be the leader of the group. Um, his name was... Brian. Brian, what's his surname? Kamanzi. Brian Kamanzi. I called him Brian Kamikaze after a while. <laughs> so, in my head while driving through there and chatting to him, I was working out how the hell are we going to do this. You must remember now, it was way past. The paper had already been laid out. 11 o'clock had rolled by, that's when we conference. Things were signed onto pages. I was coming now, having given my promise to the world and these six students and the students at large that we were going to give them space. So in my mind, I'm thinking the whole time, go big or go this has to be either memorable or it's going to blow up in your face. And the time is now 12.30. You better bring it, you know. We're racing against the clock. And whatever can go wrong, there's a very, very good chance it's going to go wrong today, you know. So then I needed the newspaper guards to kind of be with me today. So in the car, we Lance is making small talk, which I'm very grateful for. I'm chatting to them, where are they from, what are they studying. But I'm working on art in my head. How am I going to bring my staff and these guys into one newsroom and talking to each other? And I'm very lucky because the staff were very responsive. I then had to very quickly get win the trust of these students because we had a limited time frame and I had to give a lot of my own authority to them in order to win that trust so I made an announcement that I literally made up while I was sitting there <laughs> to my staff and to the students that I was ceding 50% of my editorial control to the students I was giving them pages 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5 an editorial and an op-ed piece and they were, I think they were surprised, pleasantly so, because they didn't think that we were going to follow through with it in such a big way. Um, it involved a little bit of logistics of moving the other news of the day. But I kept reassuring myself with the following thought. Newspapers can no longer be newspapers of record. As it stands, we're being killed by Twitter, Facebook, other social media... TV, radio. We can't exist the way we existed 20 years ago where it was the only source of news that people trusted. So, if I missed the big story, so be it. That, on that day... Was that not the big story on the day? That was the big story because here we were setting our agenda. We were setting the agenda for the day. And we had created so much anticipation that the paper was going to be a success anyway, whether there was... 
the content is questionable or not. But let's talk about the content. Okay. Yeah. People have, have read the content, and I believe that you are going to make more copies available. What I do want to talk to you more than the content is this Destiny cover. This Destiny cover of December. Mm. Um, on the cover, for those of you who haven't seen it, is one of the bits so-called leaders of uh, the Fees Nusfor movement. Um, Nompendulo is also known as Ulo. You might have seen her tweeting. She is wearing an ANC scarf on her head. Um, the thing I want to talk to you about, Hassan, is that during your process of these students writing for your newspaper, even in the pictures that you sent out on social media, you didn't identify them by faces, and you've already mentioned they don't have a leader that's not mm. their system. Yeah. So now, what do you make of a leader being spotted? People are too, in two minds about it. And then also then there's a political affiliation because, uh, you know, the editor of the magazine also mm. asked if she would wear a neutral headdress and apparently she turned it down. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a Look, mess. It's not my mess, though. Oh, that, that's true. And, um, and so the from thing the is, outside... So uh, from the outside... Yeah. No, no, the reason why I say it's not my mess is I was very clear up front with these students that mm. I'm not going to intervene in whatever they're going to write. By handing over the authority, I'm also giving them the legal autonomy to stand, even though that's bullshit, <laughs> to stand for what they write there, mm. you know? And I had to be brave about it. I couldn't intervene then. So they... This is important to note. They were fully in charge of the headlines, the captions, the everything. Everything to do with the picture selection, right? So what happened here is the most natural thing in the world, right? Um, and it's how leaders are born. It's how factions are formed in political movements. It's how political parties engage, like the ANC. I mean, let's take the ANC. They've got close more than a million members. They don't agree on everything. That's why they have congresses. If you if you if you want to think about how the ANC formal formalizes their thoughts and the that's why it takes so long to do things. I mean think about breaking a mirror and the different ways it will break each time you break it. And the shards of glass represents the different kind of schools of thought. So what was admirable for me was that the students put aside their political allegiances to actually have a united voice. They didn't have any leaders. It was apolitical. They chased Moosey off the campus. They chased the ANC guy off the campus. Julius knew that he shouldn't go there. And that was important, you know. But post this movement, there are political differences, right? So... This, for me, is the, most, is the most natural thing in the world. And people are, are, have ambitions. There are, there are students in there who want to be the next Tambo. They want to be the next Mandela or Sisulu. So I don't think there's anything wrong, personally, with what this, this leader did. Um, it would have been nice if the protests remained authentic and apolitical, but that was never going to happen, you know? There was, there was a set of objectives they wanted to achieve. Not all of them have been achieved, but it was the most natural thing in the world that there were going to be ideological differences and splits. There's already splits at UCT with Rhodes Must Fall and other students, you know? So, yeah.
um, you got obviously that edition of the paper came out where uh, I don't know if there's a better word to say it, but fortuitously, where the cause um, <laughs> was more pure. Yeah. And like you said, it has not. It's not at its end yet. Mm. Um, and now, you know, the events of the past maybe 72 hours where students are now being um, told to go home and campuses are closing. Mm. Uh, are you going to maybe have a rethink about another edition like that to take the story forward? How are you going to... I don't know if we'll, we'll do it in the same shape or form. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think what I've, what I've been... What I've, said to my colleagues to be mindful of is that you know you can't repeat something that's groundbreaking you know because it takes away the kind of impact and the, the influence that it has and the only other example of a newspaper ceding its authority like this was in Europe recently where a magazine gave refugees in Europe the space to tell their own stories. I think it's a powerful device, but if overused, it can cheapen the the kind of storytelling, you know. And and I think it's important for people to recognise that journalists are journalists for a reason. They have training, they abide to by by a press code, and um, they professionals who who are in the business of relaying stories professionally, you know. So I don't know if I'll easily take the step like this again, but it's a very useful way of, of, of and we've and we've experimented after that to to a lesser success than the the fees must fall edition. But I don't know if we'll do it in the, quite the same way. Um, before we end up talking for about four hours, mm. um, let me finish so, this by saying. Look, it was a very brave move on your part, and you said the face of journalism is changing, newspapers are changing, it's all changing, the media is, you know, evolving, Um, and advice to young journalists, I know it's changed for me as to what I used to say to them 10 years ago, what would you say to young journalists coming into the industry now? I'd say to them, don't think of yourself as a print journalist or a TV journalist or a radio, even an online journalist. Think of yourself as a storyteller. Think of yourself, think about how am I best going to tell the story? Which platform, which tool am I going to use? So that means you're going to have to train yourself up to be a multimedia storyteller. You know, be it through pictures or video, through audio, through the written long form or Twitter. You know, you can be an online social media journalist and, and a blogger but don't limit yourself to being a print journal because then you're going to your shelf life is going to be limited you know and that's your under the table for this week i hope there was something that you picked up from our discussion uh, about how news works and about the changing face of journalism it's uh, an industry that's undergoing quite a bit of change. It used to just be print and broadcast. Now it's online and multimedia, and we've all had to up our skill level um, and chase down the news in every form possible. Audiences are a lot smarter, and news is now interactive. So get interactive, get in touch. You can find us at Niche Radio. Um, find us on Twitter as well, at Niche Radio, or you can tweet straight at me, Bob Singh. Until next week on Under the Table, I'll chat to you then.